0: Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball, where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis.
1: What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, J.H., coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, I'm joined by Rex Walters, host of the Real Talk Basketball Podcast. Rex enjoyed a seven-year NBA career with stops at the post-Strazen Petrovic New Jersey Nets, the rookie Allen Iverson Philadelphia 76ers, and the Tim Hardaway Alonzo Morning, Miami Heat. After leaving the NBA, Rex enjoyed a successful playing career overseas before being named the head coach at Florida Atlantic University, the University of San Francisco, and eventually the NBA G League Grand Rapids Drive. We've got a go-in and store for you today, fellas. Episode number 14, Rex Walters, Real Talk Basketball. Hi, right, Rex. How are you doing?
2: I'm good, man. How
1: are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy the look into both your playing career and your coaching career and how it's all come together. So uh, just really quick, if you can give us a brief kind of run through on the, the early part of your career, going to the Nets, then to Philly, then to the Heat. It's, there were some really cool stops there, if you could tell us about it.
2: Yes, yeah, so I was. I was drafted with the 16th pick of the first round by the New Jersey Nets. Uh, they, they lost a great player in Drazen Petrovic, and, and that opened up a situation where they wanted some depth at the shooting guard uh, position. So, was drafted, uh, 93. Chuck Daly was the coach. They, they had some great players there. Derek Coleman, uh, phenomenal, great, great power forward. Really, when you talk about positionless basketball, Derek was one of those guys. He could bring it up. He could, he could really pass. He could shoot threes. Um, he could play in today's game and, and might be an even better player. Could score on the blocks as well. Kenny Anderson, one of the easily one of the best ball handlers I've ever seen. He could get to spots. I've never seen a guy be able to slither and slide through very tight holes uh, in a defense. So then you had Kenny Anderson, and then after that Kevin Edwards, um, Rick Mahorn, Armand Gilliam, God rest his soul. Jason Williams, a bunch of great guys. Um, was traded at the. In the middle or the start of my third year in Jersey, uh, Butch Beard took over, um, got a chance to play for him for about a year and a half, was traded to Philly. Uh, John Lucas was the coach in Philadelphia. I was kind of a throw-in, just to be completely and totally honest. Uh, Derek Coleman was traded for Sean Bradley and for salary, salary cap issues. And, and, and I wanted to play, and I, and I wasn't playing a whole lot. I wanted to play, and I actually said something to him about that, which Probably was a mistake on my part, but was straight to Philly, was there in Philadelphia for three years, played for John Lucas, uh, Johnny Davis, and then Larry Brown. Uh, in, in the middle of Larry Brown's time, I was waived, but I knew I was getting picked up by the Miami Heat, picked up by Pat Riley, uh, great teams, Alonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway, Jamal Mashburn, Vashon Leonard, Dan Marley, Keith Askins, great, Mark Strickland, Dwayne Coswell, some great, great players, uh, there. We're right on the cusp. we were a really good team but weren't quite a championship team and I was there for basically about two and a half years. Seven years total uh, was my NBA playing experience. I actually signed a one-year deal with the Pacers after going overseas uh, but that was a short stay in, in Indiana. In, in Indiana and then played a little bit in the minor leagues and then played overseas for a little bit and then hung it up after about nine or ten years.
1: That's awesome. And I obviously want to touch on everything, but just for that last part, I didn't know about the Pacers stand. I couldn't find that on your basketball reference page. What what, uh, what year was that in?
2: That would have been like 2001 2 So after being released by the Heat, I went to Spain, played in a place called Leon, Spain. where They were on the border of, of getting relegated. So in, in Spain, if you if you finish in the bottom two, you go down a level. And they were in, they were in trouble of going down. Well, I went out there um, played two and a half games, and then we uh, we had a family issue. My, my my wife was pregnant at the time. I had to I had to fly back home. I uh, didn't finish the season with them. And then the next year, I was I was signed by the Pacers. It was a guaranteed deal. Mark Bartleson a phenomenal agent, and and I got a one year guaranteed contract with the Indiana Pacers. I was only there for it was the year after they went to the finals versus the Lakers. Great team, Reggie, Jack, uh, Reggie Miller, um, Jalen Rose, who was hurt at the time, Travis Best, uh, Austin Crozier. Rick Smiths had retired, which really set them back. Isaiah Thomas was the coach. And I was there a very short time. I, I got through training camp. They decided that they were going to release me, uh, which I was released, and uh, received checks for a year for doing very little, very little work. I went to the minor leagues to try to get a call up and it never happened. I played for the Kansas City Knights. Uh, Kevin Pritchard was actually the GM, is now the GM or president of basketball operations for the Pacers, where he was the coach of the Kansas City Knights that I played for that year.
1: That's awesome. And when you were with the Heat, um, obviously everyone reveres Pat Riley for having this sort of aura and being this, this, this guru of basketball. Were there any kind of tidbits that he dropped for you or, or anything kind of that really stood out to you or a moment to be like, wow, this, this is what everyone's talking about?
2: Yeah, no, he, he, he is an unbelievable speaker. Uh, the best motivational speaker I've ever been around. And, and I realized that really quickly. Before every practice, he'd have a blue card, blue card, stock card. He'd go through all the things that he wanted to address. And it could, be, it could be five minutes, it could be 15, it could be 30 minutes that we were talking about things that he wanted to address. And always in part of it, whether it was a practice or in a game, there was some motivational parts of that. Uh, he really made you believe that you were competing and uh, working towards winning a championship. And that was his whole mindset. You know, there was winning and misery. And so he wanted to win and win championships. And he was a phenomenal coach. We were a very physical, tough hard-working team. We're in great shape. I was in the best shape of my life. Even before college, I was in the best shape of my life. I wasn't the same athlete I was in college, but I was in the best shape of my life. Um, There was a system in place that we believed in that he knew how to coach and get the most out of a, a, a very good team. Not a great team, but a really good team on the cusp. But when you have guys like Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Mourning, you're going to be good right away. Well, I think he took us to another level and we're right there. Us in New York, we're right there on the cusp of, of being a championship team. We were just a, a, a little bit short of achieving those type of goals.
1: And, and obviously what you're saying about the organization, it's been true for the last 20 years under Pat Riley's tenure, just with every year, whether it's um, in the present day with guys like Duncan Robinson and, and uh, just coming out of nowhere and shocking the world. To me, it starts with
2: Ownership, Mickey Arison, right, believing in Pat Riley's vision, and I think that's really important. You see, organizations like San Antonio has that, right? They've been this is the first time in 22 years they haven't made the playoffs. You see that with the Heat. They've had a few dips, but they come right back even stronger the next time. And and so they went from the Alonzo Tim uh, teams to the Dwayne and then Shaq teams to the LeBron uh, Dwayne teams. And now this version with Jimmy Butler, uh, the Dragon, uh, Goran Dragic, and a really good team. Miami is about winning, but it starts at the top, I believe, with ownership. And then it goes to them believing in Pat Riley and his vision of how we're going to do things. And it truly is heat culture. Uh, So I'm really proud that I got to spend a few years down there and learn about that.
1: While you were in Philly in in that year, 96, Allen Iverson was was a rookie at the time going to a sophomore year. Were there any kind of amazing moments, whether it was with him uh, being your teammate or just the team in general that you can kind of call back on?
2: Well, it was a talented team. And and so the first year, you know, we had a little bit younger. John Davis, great coach, great guy. But it was really his first head coaching opportunity. Uh, The year after that, they brought in Larry Brown. And with that, they brought in Billy King as I wanna say the general manager. And they really tried to build a team around Allen. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse was there the year before. That That was moved on. Jimmy Jackson was there, who was a great player. They wanted to build around Allen. And, and Billy King and uh, Larry Brown had a, had a vision, right? To put together a team to focus and play around Allen Iverson. And he was a good enough player that they could make it to a finals. Allen was an unbelievable athlete. Uh, Believe it or not, people talk about the, he was a a great worker. Uh, He liked to have fun too, but he was a great worker, but you knew he was gonna go to war every single game night. That there was never gonna be a question about that. And so what the Sixers try to do is build around him, but I'll just give you one story about Allen. So we we run a, a mile to start training camp, it's Larry Brown's first year. So we go to the Carolina track and I'm pretty fast. I, I won every single mile run or two mile run at Kansas. And I was still in good enough shape to do that. I'm gonna win this thing. I'm trying to you know, uh, set a standard for myself and let everyone know I'm in shape, I'm ready to go. So we start the race and I take off. And the next thing I know, Allen is in the fourth lane of the track running backwards. He runs the first lap and a half, maybe two, backwards in the fourth lane, laughing and joking while he's running the mile. He ran an easy sub-five mile, beat me by a good 220 yards. And the first two laps, he was running backwards. That's the kind of athlete and also competitor, because not only was he competing at a high level, he was letting everybody know that I am the best athlete. Uh, I am in great shape. And this is easy for me. Um, but that gives you kind of an, an example of the greatness and the just athleticism, quickness, and competitiveness of Allen Iverson.
1: It's an incredible story that I've never heard before. And honestly, it completely <laughs> changes my perception of, I mean, that's, that's great. So just uh, moving on uh, to kind of your coaching career. Can you kind of go through a, a, your kind of your, your, the start of your coaching career and what that was like for you?
2: Yeah, so I... <laughs> My first job in coaching was at a high school, Blue Valley Northwest. I worked for Ed Fritz. He actually coached the McDonald's All-American game, I want to say the last year or the year before. High-level coach, has won multiple state championships. Uh, I actually applied for that job, didn't get it. He got it, asked me if I'd be his assistant, which I jumped at. From there, I went to Emporia State and worked for a guy named David Moe. If you're on the East Coast and, and you follow Philadelphia basketball, You know, his father was Doug Moe. Doug Moe was a coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. I worked for him for about three to four months. I was driving about an hour and a half every day from my home in Kansas City uh, and then uh, uh, to get to work. And then about three months into it, four months into it, I hear about the Valpo situation. Well, Valpo uh, had a change in, in staff. Scott Drew was taking the Baylor job. I knew Bryce Drew. I called Bryce and said, Bryce, what is your brother going to do? And then what's your father going to do? Because I hear he's going to go take the job over back at Valpo. Well, Scott Drew tried to get me to be a graduate manager. They were going through some things at Baylor. They um, they needed guys to play and practice. And I was still young enough I could probably play. But that's not what I wanted to do. I, wa- I didn't want to be a graduate manager and, and be basically a, a practice player. Uh, two days later, Homer Drew called me. I flew out the Valpo, I entered for the job, I got the job, and that's how I got my foot in the door. I was there for two years, went to the NCAA tournament my first year, it was a, it was a fun year. We lose to Gonzaga um, in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but after the second year, Matt Doherty, who had coached at the University of North, uh, North Carolina and at Notre Dame, gets the job at FAU. I played for Matt Doherty at Kansas, um, he knew I actually wanted the job, but I was nowhere ready for it. He asked me to come down. I, I became his first assistant or associate head coach uh, for a year. We have a pretty good year. FAU had never had a winning season um, to anything to brag about. Matt had a 15 and 13 season in his first year in the A Sun, and we were getting ready to go to the Sun Belt. Well, SMU uh, called, and they wanted him to take over the program at SMU. And then about three weeks later, they, they gave me the opportunity to be a head coach at FAU. I was at FAU for two years. We had one team that was pretty darn good. The, the next year, we're kind of building it back up. And that's when I got the call to uh, interview for San Francisco. I actually interviewed for another job before then, uh, didn't, didn't take it or didn't get it. Uh, and then San Francisco called me, and I went through the interview process, and I ended up taking that job.
1: That's great. And obviously that long coach journey I ended up with you coaching for the Grand Rapids G League team in 2017. What was that like for you? Because obviously everyone always talks about how different it is. I mean, with a G League team, where your roster changes almost week to week instead of season to season.
2: Well, yeah, first of all, I was really, really fortunate. Uh, coached eight years at San Francisco, had some really good teams, went to the postseason three times, qualified for it once, went to the NIT. And then we took a little dip in the last two years. We lost some good players to transfer uh, and then the athletic director decided, and he did a great job there. Scott Sidwell is now at Penn State as an associate AD. He decided to go in another direction. Well, I was really fortunate. Uh, after he let me go, I was flying to Vegas to go watch my daughter play. Um, I announced it basically on Twitter. I've been let go at San Francisco. Thank you and, and see ya. But right when I landed, Stan Van Gundy had reached out to me and just said, hey, I heard the news. Sorry to hear that. Um, Want you to think about coming out here and, and hanging out? It's, it's no fun to be in San Francisco after after you just get gotten fired. Want you to come out here and hang out? And I did that. And I went out there. I watched a few practices, went to a few games, uh, and then got really really lucky. He he he's been a, a great friend to me. Uh, got me to got me in a couple of different situations to try to get a job, and then uh, the situation opened up at Grand Rapids, and he he. He asked me, would I be interested? I jumped at the opportunity. I said, yes, I'd be more than interested. And then I got to coach in Grand Rapids for a year. And it was a great, great experience. Loved it. Uh, I'd coach in the G League in a heartbeat. The players are really, really good. It's, it's It's a level below the NBA, but still really, really good players. It's a great challenge. There's great coaching in that league. Guys that are learning from great coaches. I got to learn from Stan Van Gundy. The coaches uh, for the main Red Claws get to lo- uh, learn from Brad Stevens. And so you've got really good coaches running really good systems with really good players. And, yes, there's challenges because you do lose players. Players get called up. Players sign uh, for jobs overseas. Players, um, at that time, you could sign with anybody. I think you still can. So you would lose players. We lost Jordan Crawford to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, we lost Ray McCallum. To the I want to say the I want to say the Charlotte Hornets is who we lost him to, uh, and then we get called we get guys um, sent down from the from the Detroit Pistons, which really not sent down they just wanted to get playing time. So I got to coach Henry Ellenson who was a great player, Michael Benajee, Stanley Johnson, uh, Darren Hilliard. So you you constantly have to make adjustments. And, and it teaches you point blank. You, you need to be open and honest with your players at all time. You need to keep them informed. Uh, and then you have to have a system in place that is adaptable when, when you do make adjustments to your roster. So I really enjoyed it. Would do it again. I'm trying to get involved with some jobs right now, to be honest with that. I'd love to coach in the G League again. I loved coaching the NBA for my year. Uh, it, was a, it was a great experience, and I learned an awful lot. I, I would love to do that again. I, I really enjoyed my experience in Detroit. I thought Stan did a great job there. Uh, we just battled injuries. You know, we had Blake, Blake Griffin for shoot. Uh, I, I don't know how many games, but not nearly enough. He was, he was traded to us late in the middle of the season. Reggie Jackson was banged up the entire season. Uh, and then Andre Drummond actually played a lot, but we just were we really battled. Uh, injury. I thought Dwayne did a great job. Dwayne Casey did a great job when he took over and took him to the playoffs. Uh, Dwayne's a great coach as well. But I know I enjoyed my time in Detroit, learned a lot. Um, I think it, it prepared me for, if I ever did get an opportunity back in college, to be that much more prepared. Because when you're, when you're a part of, a, you know, in the G League 50 games, in the NBA 82 games, the players are so much better there's so many more possessions, and the game's longer. You're just going to learn so much more. So I feel, really feel like it prepared me. I, wasn't, I don't think I was necessarily as ready as I should have been when I got the chance to coach at FAU in San Francisco. So I really feel like that has prepared me even more so. Now I just got to find a job. I just got to get a, the right job that fits me, the people that I want to work with, and, and uh, they want to work with me just as importantly, and we'll see where it goes from there.
1: What's that connection like between the G League team and the NBA team to where you're, you're learning from them and you're hands-on with, their, with what they're doing? Are you, are you around when they're, when they're discussing tactics and, and, and all that?
2: Yeah, so the plan was pretty simple. So I, I would go to summer league. I worked summer league uh, for the Pistons. So I got to spend time, work for Bob Beyer, who ran the team, and Bob's a great coach. Um, and we're there. He, he puts in, you know, they have a four- or five-day training camp and they play summer league, and back then it was in Orlando. So I got to experience that. Uh, I got to work uh, one of their uh, summer free agent camps uh, before summer league. Then I got to go work training camp and really work with the potential G league players. But I'm really taking notes, watching, seeing how they're putting in that system uh, that they're going to run. Cause we want to run. We wanted it, that the plan in Detroit was, we want to run the same exact stuff in grand Rapids that they're running in Detroit, regardless of whether the players fit or not. We didn't have Andre Drummond. We didn't have a dynamic rim runner like Andre Drummond. We didn't have, you know, uh, necessarily a, a Tobias Harris type that was a great pick-and-pop four man could play the three. Uh, we didn't have – and we had really good guards. So don't get me wrong. Reggie Jackson's a great guard as well. But we didn't, we didn't have quite that level of Reggie, although Jordan Crawford was, a, it was and is a phenomenal player. We also had Raymond Callen was a good player. But we wanted the same exact system. So I went to training camp for the full time, all the way up until their first exhibition uh, game. And then uh, that's when I really started to get to work uh, with our training camp in Grand Rapids. But the the, the, the training camp is going to be very similar. Our terminology was going to be the same. Our offensive package was going to be the same. Our defensive principles and, and, and what we tried to get accomplished defensively was going to be the same. Um, so. Yeah, that that's how that process all comes about. At least in Detroit and with Grand Rapids, that's how we did it. It'd be interesting to see how other 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 teams do it as well, and if they want to have it kind of like as a JV system, you know, where where it's, it's a it's a group or a team running the same exact stuff that the varsity teams running.
1: So I coach at Xavier High School in New York City. I coach the freshman team, and we run the same stuff as the varsity just because we're preparing them to get to the varsity level. And that whole sense of continuity is something that I was curious to see if that existed in, the, in Grand Rapids. So that's super interesting stuff. So before we go into the bubble talk, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your, your podcast uh, that, those, that those that are watching can see behind you, Real Talk Basketball. If you could just tell us a little about what you discussed through on that podcast and what your plans for the future are.
2: Yeah, so it's really basketball people and their journey in basketball. Lessons that they've learned along the way as maybe a player, uh, how they got their foot in the door, coaching um, with a lot of head coaches. Like I had David Fisdale, uh, he'll come out next weekend, uh, next Wednesday. After that, I got Ben Howland coming on, two two great guests. I mean, both of them are really good, but just their journey to get to the point where they're at right now today. Uh, I just thought that for basketball people, uh, for basketball players as well, just to see their journey and what they learned along the way. I thought it'd be really interesting for them and just for fans. So that's really – and I've had some great guests. I've had Stan Van Gundy, Danny Manning, Roy Williams, um, Eric Musselman. And I've had guys you don't know, you know, guys that, that aren't household names, that, that are really good in the business of basketball. Uh, Justin Bauman, Luke Wicks, who's an assistant coach at Pacific. Jeff Lender's a a name you're going to hear more about. He's the head coach at the University of Wyoming. Um, Sundance Wicks, an assistant coach at Wyoming. I want to give them a platform to kind of talk about themselves, but really share. Share their story, how they got to uh, where they're at right now. I just thought, and that's why I call it Real Talk. I I try to keep it real. Um, uh, Hopefully I'm getting better at it. And and so it just gives people a chance to share their journey, share their story.
1: No, I love the idea. And I definitely know more of those names than the common basketball fan, but it's important to realize that even if people aren't, people that aren't household names still have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to basketball. Yeah, no, it's, it's
2: been fun to do today. uh, Literally at 12 o'clock, I got a chance to spend about 45 minutes with coach Howland at Mississippi state. And it was great for me. We, We have some, some common acquaintances, some friends that we share. He actually recruited me for a short period of time when he was at UC Santa Barbara. He recruited and signed my high school teammate, Lucius Davis, uh, but just his story. And, and you know, the thing about Coach Howland, as I sell this is he's been to four different universities and he's won everywhere he's been. So I really wanted to get into that. What are the things you, that he felt led to the success? Cause it's not easy to win at Northern Arizona. You know, it's not easy to win at Pitt. It's not easy to win at UCLA, and it's not easy to win at Mississippi State, but he's done it at all four places. Three times he's gone to a Final Four. He'll have uh, over 26 NBA players at the end of this year when we go into the draft that have played for him. So he's got a lot of great things that, to share that I thought people would really enjoy.
1: Definitely. That's, that's super impressive. Obviously, we spoke about the Heat and their and their organization and how well they've been doing. Are, are the Heat your pick out of the East? What are, what are, you, what are you thinking? Well, that's a tough one. When you watch Toronto,
2: right, and we talked about Coach Casey before, he, he, you know, he laid a great foundation, and they had a great player come in last year, Kawhi Leonard. But what Nick Nurse has really done, he's been able to continue that. I think that they learned the things that they learned in their process of, of becoming an NBA champion as there, there's some residual effects. They're great defensively. They, they do a great job of protecting the paint. They eliminate layups. They rotate at a high, high level, and they've got great, great shooting. When you talk about Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Siakam is not a great shooter, but, but he's a guy that can really cause a lot of problems for you. And so it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to come down to Toronto and Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee's different. They've got great length and size. They're a great three-point shooting team. Defensively, they really protect the rim. They really protect the paint. But they give up the most three-point shots, so there's there's going to be uh, a lot of give and take uh, if that ends up being the Eastern Conference Finals because you've got two completely different styles, but yet they're both great defensively. But they do it in different ways. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Miami get in there. Part you know, I'm I'm biased and I'm a I'm a Heat guy. Uh, I don't know if they're quite ready yet, um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they made it that far. Um, on the Western side, it's been fun to watch Luka. It really has. It, it, and I don't think that, that the Clippers are completely healthy. There's so many factors that are going to go into the bubble. Can can teams stay healthy? And it always happens, right? It always happens. Health is, is really the most important thing. But uh, the Clippers and I think the Lakers miss guys like Avery Bradley. I think the Rondo... Uh, was supposed to play last night. I, I went to bed after halftime. That game was over. Yeah. I was on the West Coast. That game was over. But um, they, I thought the Lakers did a great job last night of attacking and putting pressure on the rim, offensive rebounds, and AD really stepped up. If if they continue that, and if, I want to say the Clippers can get past Dallas, and that's going to be a big test. I think if, if Porzingis can stay healthy, and Luca can continue to uh, just wreak havoc. Like he's been great in pick and rolls. He's been great at setting up his teammates, and he's done a phenomenal job of scoring the ball and at a high level. But he's not a great three-point shooter, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if what's going to happen. I, th- I think they play again. I want to say tonight, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching those games. So um, I would think it'd be Clippers versus Lakers. It's hard for me to bet against LeBron and A.D. I do think the fact that they don't have a lot of playoff experience when you talk about the Carusos. They say Danny Green, uh, and, and he's not playing as well as he's capable of, but A.D. hasn't had a long history in the playoffs. Obviously, LeBron does. Uh, KCP hasn't had, doesn't have a lot of experience in the playoffs, whereas the Clippers, you know, when you got a guy like Kawhi, Paul George, Pat Beverly—they've got a little bit more experience, so that's going to be a great and dynamic Western Conference Finals if they can get there. If they can get past Dallas, in my opinion,
1: awesome. And going back to what you were saying before about the Bucks versus the Raptors, that's going to be a great um, chess match, um, coaching-wise. Everyone um, reveres Coach Nurk for his sometimes unorthodox style of coaching, especially in the NBA when he's bringing out box and ones, Um, like because obviously that's not conventional, but it works. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because it, it it really is something that you don't see often, but it got great results in last year's finals and obviously still um, in, during this season.
2: Well, they, they do a phenomenal job. They'll come out and they'll play some zone. Uh, they'll, they'll really go, you know, when you talk about that box and one, they'll do it in their man-to-man where if, if a guy is a great isolation or one-on-one player, all of a sudden they just go to elbows and blocks. And it's four guys that are surrounding the paint uh, with great ball pressure and it really they, they do a great job and, and it's like five guys are locked in on the basketball so it's, it's really fun to watch now you know um, you, you would think you could weak side cut them and slot cut them but they do a great job of picking those things up and protecting them even though they don't have great rim protectors he, he does a phenomenal job he really does they protect the nail at a high level and they're great at rotations uh, and they got a toughness about them. When you talk about Van Vliet, you talk about Kyle Lowry. Um, you got great toughness. And then some length with Siakam. Again, toughness with Powell. Um, Serge Ibaka coming off the bench. So they're a fun team to watch just because, I and, I and I say this all the time, the game honors toughness. And that organization, going back to Coach Casey's days there, uh, um, Ujiri's done a great job assembling that team. And now Nick Nurse uh, as well. They've done a phenomenal job there of, of just building a culture of truly competing and winning championships.
1: Well, for sure. And, and it's uh, great to see just how, um, in terms of, out, out of all the teams, they're obviously great teams. Uh, the West is completely loaded. The East obviously has great teams as well. But the Raptors really do stand out in, in terms of their coaching philosophies and, and how they just do things that aren't conventional, but they, they win games. And that's what's important. Um, but,
2: but don't take anything away from Coach Budenholzer. <laughs> phenomenal um, coach. Uh, they had a phenomenal season. I think the that in the bubble, they haven't been as good or as efficient. Uh, you, know, you know, Giannis had the head-butting. He misses a few games. They're trying to rest. And I think their biggest thing in the bubble was staying healthy, being healthy going into it. Um, but there's, there's I think there's a little bit of pressure that as I watch them, I, I feel like – some of their players feel because they had such a great regular season. They need to relax. They need to play. Um, But the three-point shot, you you know, and it's whether or not a team can make 10 to 15 threes that are going to be contested, uh, but still they'll be open on the catch as they play against Milwaukee. If a team can do that for four games, but you got to do it for four games, right, to get that W. It'll be interesting because Milwaukee's so good at the rim. Uh, their guards do a phenomenal job of pursuing and picking rolls. They protect the paint, and they're not in rotations. Although Toronto is, Milwaukee's not in a lot of rotations. They really guard their man, but they do it while high-level rim protection and then paint protection.
1: I think, as you can see the Giannis jersey behind me, I'm a big fan of the Bucks. <laughs> I, I just do worry sometimes about their, their- – history of being a great regular season team that i've heard a lot of people compare it to the late 90s jazz under jerry sloan where it works in the regular season but when a team has a week to prepare for you it does it's not as effective what do you kind of think about that where people kind of challenge it and say well it works in the regular season we're going to drop coverage and giving up threes against sub 500 teams or teams on on playing back-to-backs but in the playoffs when you're going against the raptors the celtics for for seven games it's not as effective what do you kind of think about that
2: well, I mean, the Jazz got to the finals twice, too. Oh, yeah. The only problem was they were, they ran into Michael Jordan. I mean, Michael Jordan didn't lose in the finals. But I, I, I get their point. Uh, the one thing I'll say is they're, they're not in rotation. So can – because they're in drops with fours and fives. Is Can a team's fours and fives knock down that three-point shot consistently? And it's not like they just give it to them. I mean, they're going to close. They're going to close hard. And they're going to contest. So – uh, it's an interesting one. I, I think the one thing is that Toronto has an advantage is they've been there and they've done that. Um, but I also think from Milwaukee's point of view, Coach Budenhold is a great coach. He's going to figure out some things uh, to give themselves an advantage as well. And they've got the um, the word I'm looking for is that they've got that sense of urgency because they did lay an egg they i think they won the first two games last year and then lost four straight to Kawhi's toronto raptors so there's going to be a sense of urgency there to get over the hump and you know back in the you know the 80s and 90s there was always a a a rite of passage that you had to get through maybe toronto's that rite of passage for giannis and the milwaukee bucks
1: that's a great point to say And, and obviously that idea of the, of the Raptors being the team staying in his way, that he lost to them in 2017 with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Then again last year and this year, we're, we're expecting a, a them to a, uh, crash course in the, in the conference final. So it'll be interesting to see if they become Giannis' version of the bad boy Pistons or, or, or those teams <laughs> from the past. Um, with especially when a when when team is known for their defense, if they go on to w- whether it's either beat the Bucs or win more championships, it might be looked at uh, back at as that in 10 to 15 years, which is pretty cool to think about. It is cool
2: to think about when you think about the regular season before the bubble, they were the one and two defenses in the league. And there's a reason why there's so much respect um, with what they've been able to accomplish. I think Toronto continued to grind during the bubble because that's their mentality. Whereas Milwaukee said, hey, uh, we're going to play. We're still going to work, but we want to make sure we're healthy. So if it gets to that point, it's going to be a great finals. It's interesting because... You know, Milwaukee's a small market. Toronto's in another country. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what the television ratings are. But I know one thing, it's going to be great basketball.
1: I, I just thought of a crazy hypothetical just on the fly. P- Pistons won their back-to-backs in 89 to, uh, and 90. The Raptors, if they would win this year, would be 2019 and 2020. It's 30 years apart. You can kinda, I can kind of see in 15 years, 30 30-for-30 30 documentary, watching the box and one Raptors documentary. Just, well, just yeah, the the one
2: thing that's going to stand in their way, uh, it, gosh, I mean, you've got some great storylines where it's Toronto versus the Clippers and Kawhi, that would be crazy, right? You've got Toronto versus the Lakers because they didn't, you know, they didn't have to, for so long, Toronto couldn't get past LeBron. Now they may have their own right of passage in terms of getting past LeBron, uh, to get their ring. And then obviously you've got, you know, Giannis and, and Milwaukee, um, the season that they've had, and is now Giannis truly the the best player in the league? And, and will he have to go through LeBron to get that?
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Coach. Thanks for coming on. I have a great conversation on just, obviously, your playing, coaching career, but then also kind of how that, that knowledge of yours kind of goes into your thoughts on uh, the league today. So thank you for this.
2: Well, I don't know if it's knowledge, but I, I like to talk basketball. So I appreciate you having me, and and uh, best of luck to you and your coaching career.
0: for listening to the big fellas podcast check us out on all major social media platforms at big fellas pod to join the chop up you can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet stay tuned for the next episode big fellas